Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travel. And I'll be hanging around, <coughs> covering lots of ground. If be so kind. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Travels with Charlie. Your host, Charlie Papillo. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. want to thank all of my sponsors. First and foremost, you know, this show would not happen without the support of my sponsors. Quick shout out to my friends at Myers Bagel Cafe in Burlington, which is now called... Myers wood fired. You know, I was just in there the other day and of course, you know, the days are getting a lot cooler and you start thinking about soups. They do an unbelievable bacon, corn and potato soup. And the first thing that Adam mentioned to me was it's gluten free. So for those of you that are thinking of gluten free things, there's no gluten, there's no flour in this. It's the potato that thickens it up. And by the way, it was absolutely delicious. Thanks to uh, Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com, zero sort recycling, helping to keep it out of the landfill. Jolly convenience stores, hot coffee, sandwiches, snacks, ice cold drinks when you want them, and of course fuel for your belly as well as your car. Home of the Daily Smile and Milne Travel, MilneTravel.com. Their travel specialists search the lowest airfares via databases exclusive to the travel industry. Great program lined up for you today. Uh, we've got an alternative to Amazon. Well, I should say a local alternative to Amazon. Mighty.com. They just launched last week. Bill Calfee will be joining me. And the Deputy Director of Operations and Safety Bureau with the Agency of Transportation, Todd Sears, will be here today with details on a proposed deterrent to tractor trailers attempting to go through the notch road. You should read the sign, number one, but they don't do that. Also want to remind you before we bring our first guest on that the podcast of this program, if you don't hear it in its entirety and you want to go back and listen to it, WDEVradio.com. You can go back and they're archived shows going way back, WDEVradio.com. All right, my first guest today, and he's joining me in studio, he is a licensed independent clinical social worker, licensed alcohol and drug counselor with over 35 years of experience in the substance use field, and he is the host and producer of the Addiction Recovery Channel. Welcome to Ed Baker Travels with Charlie. Ed, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good afternoon, Charlie, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm honored to be here. Thank well, you. I'm honored that uh, you're able to make it here and uh, be in studio with me today. So before we get into anything about uh, the, the the channel, the Addiction Recovery Channel, got to ask, and I'm going to ask all of my guests today about daylight savings time. Well, let me see. You didn't change your clock back, did you? I did. You did. 
Now, do you think, is it a nuisance or is it something that we should just get rid of entirely and not do this anymore? You know, I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure out what it is. I just go with it. You know, I don't like it when I, we lose sunshine and I like it when we gain sunshine. Yeah. I like it when it gets dark really late. So, you know, I just go, I just go with it. I still don't understand why we do it or what it means. It just happens and I, I adjust to it pretty, I don't know. pretty I, easily, actually. Yeah, well, you know, I read up on it a little bit, and it's like, I guess it started back in 1918. It had something to do with farming and the like. And, you know, it's a whole different world today, and it's actually, you know, ask people, is it an inconvenience? It's an inconvenience. <laughs> my stomach, it's an inconvenience to my stomach, to my, you know, having to go and change all the clocks, although a lot of things today, you don't have to change clocks anymore because it's all... You know, connected um, via satellite or whatever, but that's for another time and a and a heavy debate on that. But let's let's find out about the Addiction Recovery Channel. This is a series that you've been doing for quite some time, Ed. Uh, first off, where can people watch the Addiction Recovery Channel? This is on CCTV, uh, Town Meeting TV. You can go on there. There's an archive to it. I'm uh, headed into the uh, seventh year now. It was really uh, born out of a devotion to reduce stigma and educate the public about people who use drugs and um, some of the different uh, stigma that attaches to them. And uh, the goal, the ultimate goal was to uh, ha- help people to unlearn stigma and to unleash compassion. When you look at it, Charlie, you and I and everybody in America – uh, for many decades now, we've been miseducated about people who use drugs. Yeah. There's been policy uh, developed to stigmatize them, criminalize them, other them, incarcerate them, punish them. And um, we're seeing the toll of that now on our streets every day. We see people die yeah. because of stigma. And we see more people die today because of the, the types of drugs that they're using and the, the powerfulness of these drugs, uh, you know, 20 years ago, maybe even earlier than that, uh, you know, fentanyl really did not exist, did it? Fentanyl uh, showed up in the CDC report uh, 2014. There were 3,000 deaths. 2022, there were over 70,000 deaths. There is no heroin anymore in the unregulated drug supply. It is fentanyl. Fentanyl and now mixed with xylazine, uh, powerful benzodiazepines, People are dying at the rate of one every 4.8 minutes in America. And none of these people, people with addiction or people who just use drugs, none of them ask for fentanyl. This is what's called a supply shock. It's completely manipulated by drug cartels, completely for their own profit at the cost of American lives. So it's obviously it's something that's cheap to produce. Very cheap to produce. And uh, the results can be horrific because it is so powerful. You know, so often I hear these stories where they, they uh, there's a drug bust and they, there was enough fentanyl that could kill an entire population in a state. Yeah, one to give you an idea, one uh, kilo of fentanyl is equivalent to 50, 5 kilos of heroin. One kilo of fentanyl can be produced by wannabe chemists in a small car garage in one week where it takes for a kilo of uh, heroin. You have to grow poppies. You have to have people farm them. They have to be harvested. There has to be a process to, to, to to convert the poppy opium to diacetylmorphine. It takes a very long time. And then smuggling, you're smuggling large amounts. So fentanyl is profit for cartels yeah. and death 
for Americans. Yeah. My guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, Ed Baker of the Addiction Recovery Channel. If you have a question for Ed or a comment, one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. If you care to join us here on Travels with Charlie, you mentioned xylosine. I can imagine, you know, people are listening and going, you know, fentanyl. I've heard about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know about heroin. Xylosine. What is xylosine, Ed? Xylosine is a, a large animal tranquilizer. And the half-life of fentanyl is short, so a person who uses fentanyl will have to use fentanyl more often. So cartels are mixing it with xylosine because xylosine uh, causes the effects to last a little bit longer. Now, where are they getting the xylosine? This is a legitimate Z- drug. Z- xylosine is, 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 is not really regulated tightly, so it's fairly easy to get. Um, and cartels, you know... They just have their sources. Yeah. Uh, They'll set up shops somewhere where it looks like they're, they're veterinarians or something doing animal care because it's an animal drug, right? It's an animal tranquilizer. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens is um, it causes uh, uh, soft tissue infection, soft tissue death and wounding that is very, very difficult to heal. And you're seeing that more and more on the streets today. So people are not only facing death by overdose, they're also facing very serious skin infections. Ed, you mentioned the, the the war on drugs, and that's a term that's been used for years, and, and, you know, in other areas, you know, there's the war on poverty. There's, Are we losing that war? Because it seems like, you know, the numbers, when you look at the numbers, they're staggering. The, the deaths, the opioid deaths that we've had in the last decade. We shouldn't be waging uh, a war. Um, what's happened is, uh, f- for many decades, but, but really the, the Nixon administration in the 70s mounted the war on drugs. And <clears throat> by policy, people have been discriminated against. They've been stigmatized. They've been prosecuted, persecuted, and incarcerated. There are many people in jail today in America, many thousands of people in jail today, for very low-level drug offenses. This is the war on drugs. The The effect is that people who use drugs are very reluctant, because of the war on drugs and stigma, they're very reluctant to come forward and seek the help that they need. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 they languish in, in the American shadow, and because of the uh, lethality of the unregulated drug supply, they are dying you know, more frequently than ever before. We have to end the war on drugs. Uh, We have to treat these people uh, the way we would like to be treated. Uh, We have to stop judging them. We have to accept them. We have to develop programs that reach them. Are you going as far as decriminalizing the use of drugs? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, is there a... Is there a fine line there? How much decriminalization, how far do you want to go? Well, there are bills in in, in Congress now, in, in the legislature now, to set up a task force to develop exactly that. What would be the limit where a person would be um, not subject to to um, to criminal law? So that's for, more about the user as opposed to the trafficker, the person that's selling the drugs. The person that's selling the drugs... They're going to be penalized, right? Well, it's a fine line. A lot of people who use drugs sell drugs uh, so they can have a supply. But not of, usually on a mass level. They're not doing, on, not yeah. on a mass level. So yeah. they'd have the, the legislature would have to 
with an informed task force, come up with some definition. You know, if you use me for an example, I mean, I have an interesting history. When I was 19 years old, it was 19 maybe, uh, what was it, uh, 1964, I was arrested for possession with intent to sell of a Schedule I narcotic, right, at 19. The Schedule I narcotic was marijuana. And at that point, it was marijuana with a, with a very low THC content. Yeah. Now, I was placed on probation because of white privilege. If I was black, I would have been in jail. Make have no doubt about that. I was placed on probation because of white privilege. And I wasn't offered any counseling. I wasn't offered any support. I was just warned that if I didn't stop taking drugs, I was going to the penitentiary. I didn't stop taking drugs because I had what was known as what's known now as cannabis use disorder. Mm-hmm. What I did was I fled to California instead, became unhoused, and within a few months was injecting drugs on the streets of California. That's what the war on drugs does to people. And look where we are today. I don't know how many states uh, it's currently legal, Vermont included. Uh, There's multiple shops you can walk in today, show your driver's license, and you can buy. And what you're buying today is certainly a lot more powerful than what you had back in 1964, Ed. Exactly. So now what we need to do now is begin to get out of the box and take looks at uh, places like Portugal and other places where – decriminalization has occurred. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean people can confuse decriminalization with commercialization. Decriminalization doesn't mean we're going to have shops on uh, Church Street selling opioids and methamphetamine. It means the person using drugs is not going to be treated as a criminal for, losing, for using drugs. He's going to get the help He's that he needs. He's going to get offered yeah. uh, different types of yeah. help and offered different types of supports. Ed Baker, my guest this afternoon. We're going to take a quick break. Ed's with the uh, the Recovery Channel, the uh, Opioid uh, Recovery Channel. Uh, and uh, we will continue that conversation with Ed right after this on WDEV. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you. Guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millnetravel.com. Back with you. Good afternoon. Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo. i got to tell you about my friends at Myers Bagel Cafe. It's Myers Wood Fire. They're now at 408 Shelburne Road in Burlington. They're open from 6 to 2 daily. I was telling you about the soups earlier. Unbelievable soups. Uh, and, of course, it is soup season, so get on in there if that's what you're looking for, the delicious bacon, corn, potato, gluten-free soup. Uh, it is just so, so tasty. And, of course, they're Montreal-style wood-fired bagels. This is what sets them apart from all the other bagel shops. They are hands down the best bagels. In fact, Seven Days just awarded them a Seven Daisy Award Best Bagels in Chittenden County, hand-rolled and honey-boiled. They smoke their own meats, delicious sandwiches, flavored cream cheeses and pastries. And again, they're at 408 Shelburne Road in Burlington, open from 6 to 2 daily. Check them out. Myers Bagel Cafe, Myers Wood-Fired in Burlington. All right, continuing our conversation with with Ed Baker from the Addiction Recovery Channel. Uh, let's talk a little bit about 
what's being done, what's what's going in the right direction, what's not going in the right direction. You talk about decriminalizing. We've got rehab centers that are out there. Uh, some people could argue that the rehab centers aren't working. People, It's a revolving door. I know people personally, they go in, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. And some, they work. They're there for a long, long time, uh, and and it works. What needs to be done with these rehab centers? Well, well, let me let me begin, Charlie, by saying that Burlington and Vermont today face uh, a catastrophic public health emergency that is yet undeclared. We've never seen anything like this before. People are dying left and right on our streets as we speak. Now. There are a lot of – there are many, many people – in a show like this, you you don't get really to say half enough because there's not enough time. So let me just say this very briefly, that there are many people out there, many thousands of people in Vermont who are working overtime, doing all they can to meet this crisis head on. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about what's not happening. And what's not happening is what is next medically necessary, scientifically supported – and being done in a number of other states in America, namely overdose prevention centers. This population that we're talking about, the disenfranchised, the the tortured, uh, people with uh, substance use, uh, mental health, social challenges, unhoused people, this population is very, very difficult to engage. Many of them have been wounded by our system, repeatedly. And this is the population that is dying most frequently. Now, Ed, I have to ask you, what exactly is an overdose prevention center? Right. An overdose prevention center is a site where these people can go, and most importantly, they can go and they can find what I like to call unconditional safety. So there are no demands placed on them. No urine samples taken, no pressure to be on time. Now, is it a place where you go and you shoot up? Because that's... It's a place where you go and you either uh, inject drugs or smoke drugs and um, drugs that you have uh, previously purchased. Now, that's a very controversial issue. You understand that many communities don't want that within their, within their boundaries. They feel, they feel that it's a magnet. You'll be bringing that element into your, into your community. Well, this is a common uh, misconception. We have, safe uh, syringe programs in Vermont, and the argument against them was exactly that argument, and it never came to fruition. Safe syringe programs. Well, what we're finding with those safe syringe programs, and I hear this again anecdotally from friends that live in Burlington, is you walk around Burlington and the streets are littered with used syringes. Why don't they have a uh, a return on them? Uh, An overdose prevention center where every syringe that's used in the center is disposed of in the center. It cuts down uh, like on exactly this problem because you have people who are being supervised, uh, being welcomed. We dispose of their paraphernalia appropriately. There are even harm reduction teams in New York Mm -hmm. that go into areas where drug use is high and they will collect used syringes that are discarded on the street while they're engaging people. An overdose prevention center is kind of a short-term and a long-term piece uh, of yes. a solution to all this. There is no one panacea for this, but an over- overdose prevention centers are the next medically necessary step, 
that we need to take. Well, there's no argument, Ed, that it would it would likely decrease the number of overdose deaths, which as you take a look at the uh, the statistics, every year in recent memory is worse than the previous year for the last decade. And we're talking numbers that they're just exponentially higher each year. So it would handle that, but how does it get these people to become productive members of society. We need to get them off drugs as opposed to come on in here and, and you can, we'll supervise you shooting up and if you overdose, we'll give you some Narcan and, uh, you know, when do you start becoming a, a productive member of society? Well, that's an a, incredibly important point and the, the main, one of the main benefits of an overdose prevention center is the people who work there are stigma free and they're experience that engaging people with severe drug use disorder in therapeutic relationships. In New York City, on point, around 70, between 70 and 75 percent of the participants of the program have been referred to additional services. So over time, people progress and over time, people move toward health. This is not a simple solution, Charlie. This has been developing for decades. It's going to take us a long time to deal with it. The question and the challenge to us is how do we deal with this? You see urgency on the street every day now in Burlington. There's uh, law enforcement and law and order kind of forces building up to tip toward, you know, harder uh, law enforcement as a solution to this. Uh, More stepped-up law enforcement will drive these people more deeply into the shadows and they will die even, believe it or not, more frequently than they are dying today. We have to be in this for the long term. We have to learn compassion. We have to think out of the box a little bit, follow New York, follow Rhode Island, follow Minnesota. There are other states in America that are moving this way. Mm -hmm. Follow Portugal, Switzerland. There are uh, over 100 overdose centers uh, worldwide. Agree Canada. or disagree with my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, Ed Baker from the Addiction Recovery Channel. We'd love to uh, to hear from you. And the number is one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. Locally, it's 802-244-1777. You can join us here right up until uh, the bottom of the hour. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, coming up, we're going to be talking with Todd Sears uh, about uh, the Notch Road, uh, Smuggler's Notch Road, you know, those trucks, big trucks trying to head through that uh, that space and, and getting stuck in there and uh, we'll continue with that conversation coming up in just a moment. So we're talking about decriminalizing. We're talking about, uh, uh, you know, how we can uh, get drugs off the street uh, and and clean up. The, you know, you mentioned Burlington specifically how they've reacted. They've recently added uh, um, a truck that specifically goes out for overdoses, uh, and they can administer Narcan. You know, typically it used to be they'd have to send the fleet out. They send the big uh, fire truck out and an ambulance out, and now they've just gone to a, basically it's like a van and it has, uh, you know, medical equipment in it as well as Narcan. Chief, that's uh, Chief LeChance in the uh, Burlington uh, Fire Department. It's a very uh, innovative way for us to reach out to people, to meet them where they are, to help them, to save their lives. We need to think out of the box. Let me just say one thing that I'd like to get out here to the listening public, that all of us, everybody in Vermont now, is facing an incredible amount of grief. We're, we're traumatized. We're, we're humans. We want to do something about this. We're Vermonters. We don't turn our back on people. So we're all traumatized by this, and we're being kept 
in an inactive position actually by the state government, by Governor Scott, by the health department. They're not moving forward, and they have the money. We have $15 million from opioid abatement settlement money lying there doing nothing. We're not thinking uh, in a forward way. We're thinking in a box. We just want to spend this money on things that are proven. We need to move more on science-informed practices. $15 million that has not come from the general fund. It is not taxes that we've paid. It's the result of people dying from opioid use disorder, pharmaceutical companies, distributors, criminal behavior. T.J. Donovan fought valiantly, and we have this money coming in now, and it's going to come in for 17 years, and we need to spend that money on those about to die in Vermont. Ed, let's quickly, before we ramp up here, just how do rehab centers fit into all of this? If you've got uh, these sites where people can go and they can safely inject drugs and, and not have to worry about overdoses, and then uh, you need a place where you can work to get them off those drugs. Sure. How do the rehab sure. centers work? Well, well a, harm, a harm reductionist at an overdose prevention center is listening with a third ear. And when they hear any sign of motivation, they they engage it. So say, for instance, a person is coming in and lamenting about their life, injecting drugs, that might be a minute to talk about, hey, you know, have you ever considered this? Yeah. Hey, I can help you to do this and get them into what we call a rehab center. So detox, rehab, and hopefully um, a prescription of buprenorphine or methadone when they are released. That's, that's the goal, to help people move forward at their own pace as they are motivated, not as we tell them they should be motivated, because that just doesn't work with people. Then the rehab... Thank good. We have a, a system of recovery centers all over Vermont today that we, we didn't have in, in 2000. Right. We have them today. Yeah. Some of come, them are relatively new. They're beautiful. And they're, and they're doing a great job. Quite, I can mention Jenna's Promise as ab- one that's absolutely. doing a fantastic job. Jenna's Promise and 12 others in every county in, in, in Vermont. Now, so the person would come out of rehab and then get involved with a recovery coach, start going to a, a recovery center if they wanted. There's 12 step programs, AANA. We have a lot of supports, supported, su- supportive features in place. This, uh, this is called a multi-pronged approach. And I'm here to tell you that the glaring, the missing prong in our approach is overdose prevention centers. And if people want to see more about uh, the Addiction Recovery Channel, they can check that out on the Lake Champlain cable. Uh, uh, CCTV, Town Meeting TV. I'm mounting a, um, a six-part series now on public health and public safety in Burlington, and we're going to have some very interesting guests looking at at this issue specifically. Thank you so much for looking at it, Charlie. Ed, thank you so much for joining me in studio this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Thank you for for coming in. Coming up next, uh, Todd Sears, the Deputy Director of Operations and Safety Bureau. We're going to be talking about the Notch Road and why these big trucks want to get through it uh, when they can't fit and, and what we're going to do about it. That's all straight ahead right here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. 
Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. Welcome back. Good afternoon. Your host, Charlie Papillo, here on uh, Travels with Charlie. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. A quick reminder, if you haven't changed your clock back, it's exactly 1.35 right now. Make sure you do that. Change your clock. Todd Sears is joining me on the phone line today, Deputy Director of Operations and Safety Bureau with the Agency of Transportation. We're going to be talking about keeping tractor trailers out of the notch road. Good afternoon, Todd. Thanks for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Well, hi, Charlie. It's glad to, uh, I'm glad to be here. So is the Notch Road still open? I know there was a, a note last week. I think it closed for just a moment or something, but it's now open. Am I correct on that? It is open, yeah. It was closed briefly because we had a uh, stuckage there last week, but uh, uh, it's open, yes. So let's talk about how we can keep trucks out of the Notch Road. And we know that uh, certainly uh, – the numbers have gone down over the last couple of years. I think there's about five trucks this year. It was pretty much the same last year, but it's been as high as 11 in recent years. Uh, why have we seen a decline recently? Is it just about the signage? And I see signs all over the place, Todd, not just not, if you're approaching, uh, you know, 108, but even as far away as uh, Interstate 89 in St. Albans. Yeah, they're all over the place. Um, well, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, we have seen an improvement over the past uh, three years. Uh, the notch is still not closed this year, but we're up to uh, five. Uh, this year we had five in um, 2022, five in 2021. So so the trend is good, and it represents about, I don't know, about a 35% decrease over a fi- over the five-year average. So I think that's, that's a good progress. Now, why exactly that's happened, I can't really explain. It's hard to attribute cause to that. But I can say that um, we have kind of taken on a multifaceted approach um, to the notch uh, and, and little interventions that we can do. And um, I can lay out sort of the process for you if, if you'd like to hear the, st- the story of that and, yes. and what we're doing. Is, yeah, please do. Okay. Yeah, please. Sure. Great. Um, right. So back in, in the summer of uh, – uh, 21, um, July, I think it was, we had basically a, a, a road audit uh, for the notch. And it was a really interesting kind of a two-day event because we had our team at the Agency of Transportation, which is made up of planners like me and then engineers uh, that have been looking at this thing for a while. Uh, and we sort of partnered with the existing notch stakeholders group. And that stakeholders group has a wide variety of folks in it. Uh, the law enforcement, Stowe PD was there. There's some elected officials there. Both of the resorts, the Smugs and Stowe Resort um, uh, operators uh, were, were there uh, as well. Our partners at the Lamoille County uh, Planning Center were, were there. And it was kind of a two-day event. So in the morning of, of day one, it was a, a big Zoom meeting, and we just compared notes, and we talked about different solutions that we had come up with, and we kind of shared general ideas from big picture, sort of massive roundabout ideas, yeah. to um, let's improve signage, for example. Um, 
so that was that was on Zoom. And then the next day, uh, we got together. It was a rainy day, I remember. Uh, we all got together up at Barnes Camp on the Stowe side, and we carpooled and got in cars, and we just we drove it just to get on the ground and to stop and to look at places and just to get that that sense of of being there. Um, and then we went back and we met again, and from that we developed uh, developed a report which gave us a whole list of different kinds of actions that we could that we could take. And um, so those actions included things like uh, improving um, or I'm sorry, increasing law enforcement patrols in the area, uh, looking at the statutory language that currently existed. Um, in previous statute had just said that sort of commercial vehicles are prohibited, but we wanted to uh, make that a little bit more specific and identify the kinds of vehicles uh, by measurement that couldn't make it through. And so we, we had uh, some of our, our engineering teams and survey teams do some very, very in-depth planning up um, uh, or analysis up on the notch. Uh, and they measured the terrain and the curves and just basically the geometry up there to a really, really high level of fidelity. And that allowed us to, to refine the statutory language to, to what it is today, which gives specific, um, specific length restrictions for, um, for, for vehicles up there. So that was one of the things we did. Uh, we talked about improving and increasing uh, outreach to, to journalists and the yep. press and, and, and trade, course, uh, uh, trade um, organizations. What about the that, GPS uh, companies, Todd? You know, a yeah. lot of people say that uh, yeah. they, they pay attention to their GPS and, and it tells yeah. them to go right up through 108. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. those companies need to be not held liable, but they got to be helping out as well. Yeah, and so that's, that was another thing that came up. That comes up a lot, um, and it's, it's an important issue. It's an important issue. The issue is uh, we're having good luck um, with uh, uh, interacting with companies that have freight-specific GPS navigation systems. So if, if uh, freight haulers are using a freight GPS system, they're going to see a, um, um, a restriction, yeah. and it's going to detour them. Say if you're coming from Stowe and you need to get to Jeffersonville, it'll take you up 100 to 15 to get Perfect. to Jeffersonville that way, right? And which, yeah. which makes total sense. And that's only – it's an increase of eight minutes, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah. it's – so it's not that bad. The issue is a lot of these drivers um, aren't using the freight, you know, the, the, the freight-specific uh, GPS map yeah. system. They're using, gotcha. you know, Google Maps, Apple Maps, and yep. those um, those do not have a blackout sort of functionality, and so that takes them right up through the notch. And that's why we have our changeable message signs that you see on 89 and yep. elsewhere that says things like. Um, do not believe your GPS. It right. Work. Yeah. And there's also, you know, there's some hefty yeah. fines that have been instituted. Uh, and, and again, let's get in because we've yep. got, got a few minutes yep. left. Uh, Todd's here is with me. We're talking okay. about the Notch Road. Todd's with the Agency of Transportation. The latest proposal, these movable chicanes, which sounds like a great idea. You know, one was even yep. one, you put an archway in and that would do the same thing, but they're going to go with the chicane over the archway or, or you haven't decided yet. So we've decided, and it's, it's going to be a chicane. Um, one of the things that came out of this July 21 meeting is to conduct a scoping study, and in that scoping study, we came up with a couple of couple of different sort of infrastructure on the ground solutions. Uh, one of those was a chicane, uh, putting a chicane course in. And what a chicane does is it mirrors the geometry of the notch, but way down lower, um, so that if a uh, uh, 
a tractor trailer finds itself in grief there, it can just back out and then turn around and head back down the mountain and without disrupting traffic. And, um, and so that's a win. And what we liked about that and what we plan on instituting uh, and installing is that we can, we can um, look at this as a, a temporary solution or an experimental solution. Mm-hmm. And so we can put it on the ground and we can test it out and we can see how it works. And if the geometries, and we did, again, did all of the analysis and we planned this out uh, very, very well, um, but we wanted to be able to tweak it if, if we needed to tweak it. Sure. So that and would be then, a, a movable chicane, right, Todd? Something that's... Um, e- it, Yes, yep. it would be it, it would be movable. Not yeah, you'd have to go in and, and do some work to actually move it. But yeah, yes, it, it, but it, it would be a lot easier. Yeah. The truck gets yeah. stuck in that. You don't have to bring heavy machinery and to have them right. wedge out of a the the you know the actual notch road. And if you had to move a chicane, you you could you could move it. When is that proposed to be due? The next season? Will we see those there on 108? And how will that affect regular traffic? Um, the uh, yes. Your first question will be, uh, the plan is uh, beginning of, of next season, mm-hmm. so the springtime when, when the notch opens uh, opens back up. And um, we expect to have it in there for uh, for a season, just t- kind of to collect data to, to see h- how it works. Um, how is it going to affect traffic? Um, it will slow things down um, a little bit, but not significantly. In fact, I think it will uh, increase uh, uh, increase safety there slightly. Uh, because traffic will be warned that there's a chicane coming, which will um, which will slow folks down going up toward the notch. Sure. Um, because that's where the angles are, and then coming down, uh, it's n- no real um, uh, change in angle of any yeah. significance when you're com- when you're coming down. And, and, so, and certainly, it's not going to slow anybody down for those five times when somebody gets stuck in there, and you back traffic up because you've got to get that tractor trailer out of that area, which I can't even imagine how you would do that. Todd Sears with the Agency of Transportation, the Director of Operations and Safety Bureau. Todd, i got to thank you for joining me here this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. We look forward to 2024. The chicanes will be in position. Before we go, I'm asking all my guests today about their opinion on daylight savings time. Are you a fan of should we have left the clocks alone this weekend, Todd, or do you like uh, that uh, extra hour that you get on uh, the previous weekend? here i actually like setting the clock uh adjusting the clocks because i'm a i'm a runner i go early in the morning and um and this gives me a little bit more light to do that and uh so i don't i don't trip over rocks and all right and as much you get, get in an <laughs> argument with all the late afternoon run runners but yeah, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> there's two sides to uh, todd i really appreciate you joining me this afternoon if people uh, want to find out more information about the notch road or anything uh, with related to the agency of transportation where's the best place to go well we will be as we approach getting the chicanes in we will be um uh, posting information on our um our social media uh, footprint that we have out there facebook etc all right Sounds good. Yep. Todd, thanks for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Yes, sir. Thanks very much for having me. All right. Have a good day. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Bill Calfee from MyT.com, local alternative to Amazon. He joins me straight ahead right here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. 
When I'm on the road, I don't have to look very far for a place to fill my gas tank or my belly. Jolly Convenience Stores, with over 40 locations to choose from, makes it easy. Fuel for your car, fresh-made sandwiches, soft drinks, hot coffee, pastries, friendly service, and even creamies. Jolly Convenience Stores supports your community by sponsoring events, veteran organizations, and more. That's why I support them, and you should too. Stop in today. Jolly Convenience Stores, home of the Daily Smile. Welcome back. Travels with Charlie. Charlie Papillo, your host. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Uh, a new shopping platform to give a local alternative to Amazon was unveiled last week. And joining me to tell us all about Mighty.com is founder Bill Calfee. Bill, good afternoon. Welcome to Travels with Charlie. Good afternoon. How are you? Thanks for having me on board. Thank you for joining us. And this is very exciting news uh, right now, only in the Chittenden County area. But um, And first, let's be specific because people are going mighty.com. They're going to look it up. Well, I want to be specific the way that you spell it, M-Y-T-I. And I've got to ask you, inquisitive minds want to know, why did you spell it that way? And does it stand for something? Oh, that's a really good question. So mighty... Uh, the way it's you know it's it's written M Y T I yes but pronounced mighty so local is mighty together we are mighty those that you know we're we're trying to emphasize the um, how doing something together we, we can be mighty whereas separated individuals not so much. How did you come up with this idea? And again, let's be clear, you're not really competing with Amazon. This is something that's an alternative to Amazon locally, right? That's exactly right. I mean, right, I mean, you asked two questions. So right now, um, there are two different groups. So you have shops and independent retailers right now don't have a way to compete with Amazon. And by, by, by joining the Mighty Platform, they can work together to compete with Amazon. And shoppers also, we found a lot of people shop with Amazon but feel some guilt about that because they want to be supporting their local community. So it's important for people to know that they can have this alternative and shop online, have all the ease and convenience of having things delivered to their doorstep and keep the money in their local community. And that's very important too. You know, we hear this all the time about keeping the money locally, keeping it in the in the local area. You support those local businesses. It's the the local businesses that support, uh, you know, the little league teams and the charities and the like out there. When you send money to Amazon, it doesn't really get any local support, does it? That is exactly right, um, because that that's what supports all the things that we love about our community. And you mentioned, you know, Little League, all the different kids' sports programs, all the different kids' support things, all the festivals that we have in towns, um, everything around the community. If you think about the 4th of July, who, who supports 4th of July festivities? It's the local independent businesses. And who supports local radio? Local businesses. Absolutely. Uh, how many businesses currently partner with you, Bill? Um, I think right now, I don't have the number right in my head, but it's around 30 right now, and we have probably 30 others that are in the pipeline to be connected. 
And what do they have to do if they want to connect with you? By the way, my guest, Bill Calfee from Mighty.com, it's, a, a, it's an alternative to, to Amazon offered to, to local businesses in Chittenden County. How do people contact you, Bill? How do they find out more about it? Well, the, a shop can reach us going to Mighty.com, M-Y-T-I.com, and there's a contact page um, and a phone number, and that's the easiest way. And then we have uh, Brooke, who works with us, can reach out to help the shop get onto the Mighty platform. And can you tell me, not to put you in a, in a tough spot here, but you know, name some of the – it's like going to the old Howard Johnson's and telling me to name all the ice creams. But uh, Can you name some of the businesses that uh, you currently partner with? Yeah, right now, um, let's see, Homeport, Kiss the Cook, uh, Must Love Yarns, Small Dog Electronics, Pet Food Warehouse. I don't have the list in front of me. But. All right. I'm not, not putting you on the spot. Uh, now, when you order from Amazon, typically here in the Vermont area, somebody from the United States uh, Postal Service or maybe FedEx may deliver the package. Who will deliver for MyT.com? Well, that's that's a great question. Right now in Chinook County, we are running all those deliveries ourselves. Um, so we have Vermonters uh, picking up from the shops and then, collating its orders together and delivering it to people's doorsteps. We, on Wednesday, you mentioned our, our event, I think, and we, we will be opening up to the rest of Vermont very soon. And as we open up, that delivery system is the thing that is the hardest to build out for us. Yeah. Um, so initially, we'll be delivering um, a lot of those packages with our electric vehicles ourselves and we will use some other carrier, USPS, yeah. UPS, FedEx, for some of the deliveries that are at the edges where we can't quite meet with our team. Right. I mean, even Amazon has to do that here in little old Vermont. Uh, they just they don't have their own vehicles here, so they rely on FedEx or, or UPS or the United States Postal Service. If you have a question or comment this afternoon for Bill Calfee from MyT.com, 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. You had a great show of support last week in your unveiling when you rolled out last week. Want to talk a little bit about that, Bill, who was there and, and and their support for, for this new company, this new platform? Well, we, we were especially excited to have um, the Vermont treasurer, Mike Pichet, um, because he sees how important it is to keep that money in the, U- in the, in the U.S., but yes, in the Vermont economy. Um, right now, Vermonters are spending about $1,100 a minute with Amazon. Wow. And that's about 500 million dollars a year that's leaving the Vermont economy. And you can just imagine what would happen if we kept even a part of that here in the Vermont economy, running through our local stores, out there to support charities, out to support all the festivals, kids programs, all that kind of stuff. And Ele- $1,100 a minute? Seriously? Seriously. Wow. That's... That's hard to fathom. And you're right. I mean, just, you know, just grab a small piece of that and you'd be doing well. Right. I mean, imagine what Vermont is trying to do to, to bring money into the economy. And I think we should also spend some time keeping the money here. Bill, how have some of the local businesses responded to you? Because 
let, let's face it. I mean, this is the way of the future for many, many businesses that people today would rather go to their smartphone, go to their computer and, and buy as opposed to, you know, going into a store and, you know, putting the miles on their car and walking in there. How are they responding? Well, you know, businesses love us. Um, and it's just for that reason. It, it's really difficult for a business to compete with online shopping, um, especially when you get people that are far away from the shop and have jobs and have children and have other things going on in their life. We've been trained um, that online shopping is pretty easy and convenient. And so, you know, we don't have to choose between buy local and going online. We can have them both with money. And it's a good time of year. I'm sure you would agree with me to, to launch the platform. We're heading right into that busy holiday shopping season. I'm sure a lot of the businesses are going to be responding with specials and, and the like for this time of year. It's a good time of year to do it, is it not? It's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great time. Um, we're having a great time already. Uh, lots of orders coming in, making lots of deliveries every day. Bill, in your release, you stated that MITE has three intentions by connecting local shoppers with small businesses in the area. Could you explain the, the three? Well, one we've been talking about is keeping the money in local communities everywhere. And so that's, that's what we've covered. The second is really important, I think, in, in our society today, and that is we also want to increase personal interactions. Because we all crave having interactions with other human beings. E- even this, uh, talking over the phone, talking over the radio, is, is fun because it's another human being. And it has us do what we're designed to do. And so part of what Mighty is doing is we're looking at every, everything that we're doing and seeing if we can increase the interaction between two human beings. And that will benefit our, our different communities as well. Well, good luck with everything, Bill. I appreciate you joining me here on Travels with Charlie. I want to be specific again if you want to find out more information, MYTI.com, Mighty.com. Uh, Bill Calfee. Bill, before you go, I've been asking all of my guests this afternoon their thoughts on, on daylight savings time. Are you a fan or would you rather we didn't change the clocks back this, this past weekend? Well, I, I think, I think we just need to pick a time. <laughs> and, and stick with it uh, because it is it is discombobulating. It does require uh, reorganizing our brains a little bit, yeah. and so I would stick with some time. I don't know whether I like daylight savings time or standard time. Finally, and I can never remember which is which. Yeah, I can't either. But finally, someone that's in agreement with me. I just the, the whole prospect of changing the clocks back, you know, one hour one way, one hour the other way. It just you know it messes with your stomach. It messes with everything else, and it doesn't make any sense today, 2023. We don't need to do that. Bill, it's really been a pleasure talking with you this afternoon. Again, MyTea.com, M-Y-T-I.com for more information. They hope to be statewide soon, but right now it's Chittenden County only, an alternative to Amazon. Bill, thank you so much for joining me here on Travels with Charlie. Charlie, thank you so much. It's been great. All right. Good to talk with you.
I want to thank all of my sponsors here of Travels with Charlie, Casella Waste Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne Travel, and a Myers Bagel Cafe, also Myers Wood Fired. My theme song is written and performed by my good friend Billy Bratcher, my executive producer. That is Brad Ferlin running the board today, doing a great job. Danny McGivergan. I'm Charlie Papillo. I'll see you in my travels. My next show is on November 20th, and we got a great show lined up for you. As many of you have heard, I'm sure JetBlue said they're not flying into BTV anymore. The, the Pat Leahy Airport, they're not flying in there. Scott Milne will be joining me to talk about that. And Alex Farrell, the newly appointed housing commissioner, joins me right here on Travels with Charlie. We'll see you in two weeks.